out uh, so shortly after Thanksgiving, and as Matt uh, or Jennifer mentioned, there's a few ironies of talking about gluttony the week after Thanksgiving. And so on the one hand, we probably should have done this a bit before Thanksgiving so that our feasts could have been perhaps more appropriate. Um, but nonetheless, even in this season of Advent that uh, is a fasting season, it's appropriate, I think, for us to try to talk a little bit about gluttony here and now to prepare us for our Christmas feasts and the celebrations that will ensue later this month. So I think right off the bat, I want to mention that there's a bit of a challenge in shifting our attention from the kinds of vices that we've been talking about, things like lust and pride, to something like gluttony. That is, we tend to think that they're in some ways qualitatively different, right? That we Food is like this thing that doesn't really matter a whole lot, whereas what we do with all of the other things that we desire, perhaps wrongly, is more problematic. And so part of the thing that I want to do is to, to talk about why gluttony is important uh, as a vice to discuss related to the virtue that it is a deficient or an excess of. So, one of the things I think, and this is what I'll start off with before getting into precisely what gluttony is, is that we face a challenge in thinking about food in terms of rightness or wrongness. That is, we don't often think of food as a moral issue. And this is the initial challenge that faces us. And part of the reason that we don't see food as a moral issue, that is our acts of eating as either right or wrong in themselves, is that we don't think food is all that important. And you might say, well, hold on, we think food is really important. We eat a lot. Some of us think about food a lot. I'll speak from, of myself in that. So maybe food just really isn't an important issue. Uh, the way that we typically think of food, at least in Christian context, is often what I, I've called a, like a memorial or like a mirror. Food is significant insofar as it points us to something else. So um, if you read any books about food and theological studies or food and religion, you'll often get things like, um, this is an actual example, a thing like a scone prayer. Something that as you're baking your scones, you can say, and you have something that will help you think of God in the midst of your act of cooking. Now there, there's a good motivation there. Right? We want to see all of our acts as in some ways related to our spirituality. We want to think of God as being a part of all the things that we do. But when we think of food merely as a means to some other end, namely thinking about God, we divest our acts of eating, our acts of cooking, our acts of drinking from having meaning in themselves and having value for what they actually are what they are. And so the first thing that we have to do before we actually get to gluttony is to recognize that food has value not for what it can do for us for something else, but because of what it is, namely a God-given means of sustenance and pleasure, something that sustains us, that we, we can't live without eating, something that is required. But at the same time, that doesn't really distinguish us from, say, the squirrels that have been tearing up our backyard, finding nuts and burying them all over. They're still eating for sustenance, but what's unique about human eating is that it's 
also for pleasure. That God has given us ways of enjoying food with people, with friends, and specific types of food that, at least as far as we know, squirrels don't have. Maybe they do, but um, at least for our purposes, we can talk about pleasure as a specifically human kind of thing. And so we need to think of eating as something that has meaning. And that will sort of jar us loose from thinking of it as just a normal, everyday thing that doesn't really have much meaning. And once we can do that, we're able to move on and to think about why, then, it's so significant as one of uh, what we call the vices. And before I get to specifically the vice of gluttony, I want to talk a little bit about virtue. So Bob did a great job the last couple weeks talking about pride and humility in a context that, as he described briefly, was what he referred to as non-Aristotelian. Now, um, I'm going to give you the Aristotelian account. So a little bit of, if we're talking about the sort of swinging pendulum between excess and deficiency, we can view we're swinging the pendulum back to a bit of classic philosophical tradition. So traditionally, virtue has been thought of as what is called a mean between excess on the one hand and deficiency on the other. That is, when you have the right amount of desire at the right time, in the right way, for the right reasons, you're said to be acting virtuously. When you don't have enough of that desire for whatever thing it may be, you're vicious. You're engaging in some vice of too little. On the other hand, you can engage in too much desire for a particular thing. And that is when we drift into the vice of excess which we often think of related to food as gluttony. So virtue is the mean between excess and deficiency. Now I want to talk about, a little bit more about this middle ground. So in the traditional way of thinking about this middle ground, the middle ground is what the rational thing to do is. So if we all had perfect rationality, uninhibited by any wrong desires, we would be able to recognize in any given situation what that middle ground is. Say if we were a divine person who was enabled by the spirit as an incarnate human being, we might know what kinds of things we ought to do. But unfortunately, given the fact that we have fallen natures that make us not know those things, we end up drifting away from the mean. We don't have access to what would be the rational thing to do in any given situation. And so because we don't know what the right thing to do is, we end up drifting either into excess on the one hand or deficiency in the other. Now, this mean is the rational thing, all things considered. So what any given person would do if they had all of the information about all of the relevant factors in any given decision. So think of, for instance, if we're talking about food, um, say a college student spending money on food. The college student might splurge on going to, say, Five Guys and buying hamburgers. But for most people who are out of college and have jobs, that's not really excess. It's not a splurge in terms of what they have the resources to do. It may be a splurge to go to a fine dining restaurant in the city. And so one situation matters for what we think of as the mean. And we'll see more about this later when we talk about the different varieties of gluttony. So the mean is flexible, it changes, but it reflects what is the rational decision, the rational thing that we ought to do. And for Thomas Aquinas in particular, whose account I'm going to be relying heavily on, that mean, the thing that we should do in any given situation is also that which is good. 
So if we can have access to whatever the middle ground in our decision making is, we'll be doing what is good in that given situation. So that's a little bit about virtue and vice in, uh, in general before we now get into gluttony in particular. But before we get to gluttony, which is a vice, it's the excess of too much of something. Rich, do you have a question before we get there? I do. Yeah. about gluttony, it's, a per it's particularly tied to food. So um, let, me, let me get to the, the virtue that gluttony is a defect of, and that'll, I think, maybe clarify that a little bit more. So traditionally, the virtue associated with gluttony is the virtue of temperance. And when we think of something being tempered, we think of it, it's sort of having um, a, a chastened or, or moderated sort of uh, function. So think of our dispositions. To have temperate dispositions is, say, if you walk into a buffet, say the Indian buffet, as Sarah will bring up again in a little while, uh, and you don't have a desire to eat excessively. That means that you would have a temperate disposition. The desires to be gluttonous aren't even there. Unfortunately, for most of us, we have the desires either for excess or uh, alcohol mentioned as well, deficiency. And so we require the virtue of self-control to be able to moderate the desires that would lead us not to be temperate. So we lack temperance and therefore have to exercise self-control. But since we have these desires that are problematic, when we think of them in terms of food, we're now talking about gluttony as the excess and what Aquinas calls 
insensibility as the deficiency. Now, this is really interesting. He doesn't even really talk much about insensibility. And he says, basically, because no, no one really cares too little about these kinds of things. And by these kinds of things, I mean the kinds of things that are necessary for our survival. So Aquinas talks about our eating, our drinking, and our having sex as being things that are particularly related to the desires that we have because they're necessary for survival. So the desires that we have for these things, for food, drink, and sex, are good provided that they're oriented in the right way according to what we ought to be doing. And so uh, for Aquinas then, these things that are associated with the natural operations of the human being are the things that our desires most frequently go wrong in. And so if we were going to talk about the deficiency of temperance with regard to food, we would talk about insensibility. But he says this doesn't even really have a technical name, like gluttony or drunkenness, because there's so few people who are deficient in pleasure with regard to food. The closest analog or example I can come up with with what it would mean to be uh, insensible with regard to desire for food would be people who want to eat soy lent. Have you heard of soy lent? Soy lent is this powder that programmers in Silicon Valley developed because they didn't want to be burdened with eating meals. They wanted to program all day. And so what they would do is they created this powder that is supposed to be a complete meal replacement supplement. And, and, and that you can literally live off of this one particular gray substance that's like a powder that you mix in your drink. So Aquinas in particular wants to qualify our desires in terms of natural operation as distinct from disorders. So there might be a case in which someone has an eating disorder, either too much or not enough, that wouldn't count as either gluttony or insensibility insofar as the, the desire is not coming from, say, their will. It's not something that they're owning as their own particular their particular desire for a thing. And so eating disorders would be a different category for him, not necessarily um, gluttony or insensibility. And so soy lent is kind of like what insensibility would be, but none of us really fall into that line. So we're going to talk a little bit more about gluttony. So um, in the same, if we're going to talk about excess in terms of uh, sexual desire, we already talked about lust. Excess in terms of desire for drink, that's what Aquinas calls drunkenness along with everyone else. And now when we're talking about excess with regard to food, we're going to be talking about gluttony. So gluttony is specifically oriented to our desires for food. Now, if temperance, that is having right dispositions and desires for food, uh, is sort of the mean, gluttony is the excess, too much. And Sarah's going to talk in a, a few minutes about the ways that this excess can manifest itself, but I want to talk a little bit about gluttony first before we get there. Now, Aquinas says that gluttony is not tied to any specific activity. So, like, um, if you do a Google search of, like, images for gluttony, like, you get an overweight man sitting at a table shoving, like, tons of food in his mouth. But for Aquinas, the actual action of eating a 
is not necessarily bloody. And that may come as a surprise, because that's normally how we think of it. Rather, for Aquinas, it's the disposition, the desire, having a wrongly ordered desire for food in terms of having excessive desire is what he refers to as blood. Does that make sense? So it's not, it's not this particular action. It's a desire that will lead us to manifest, it, will, that will manifest itself in lots of different actions. And so uh, there are, in Aquinas' view, at least five different ways that gluttony can manifest itself. Five different kinds of dispositions and behaviors that will be connected to our <laughs> desires and that we will often sort of see the fruit of gluttony. The most obvious one that we always think of, excessive eating, is not even the most significant for him. So Sarah's going to talk about five different varieties of gluttony. And each of these five varieties are things that are going to obstruct our reason. So again, if we had perfect rationality and were able to know in every situation what the mean was, we would be able never to have gluttonous desires. But since we don't, these kinds of ways that our desires go awry will obstruct our reason and lead us into the vice known as gluttony. Any questions before Sarah talks about the varieties? Make sure we're clear on what this is. Yeah. Just to clarify one thing, you, you said that uh, if you had perfect knowledge of what the right uh, kind of desire is, you wouldn't go wrong. But uh, it will cause it too. I mean, you could know perfectly that you uh, Yeah, so it's, 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 it's Right, so it's not merely knowledge in terms of rationality broadly conceived, but also in terms of um, having rightly ordered desires as well. So knowledge is necessary but not sufficient for, for uh, abstaining from vices. Or it's ne not necessarily necessary but not sufficient for being virtuous. Okay. All right, so the five different species that Aquinas has distinguished in regards to gluttony are sumptuous eating, fastidious eating, hasty eating, ravenous eating, and excessive eating. Um, so first I'm going to talk about the sumptuous uh, eating, which is the unordered desire for particularly extravagant or choice foods. So think of the person who desires only to eat foie gras, caviar, truffles, um, or drink only old burgundy or scotch. Um, there's also, in contrast, the person who has a desire to avoid certain common foods like tripe, chicken breast, salad. <laughs> I know, I err more on the former. <clears throat> so to desire these things is not in and of itself bad, but it can be bad. Um, so for instance, if you or somebody who desires to only eat dry-aged ribeye. Um, if you are independently wealthy, that might be okay to do more often than not. However, um, if James started to buy dry-aged ribeye every day, he would be causing um, a problem in terms of, he'd be inordinately spending our money, causing us not to be able to pay our mortgage, things like that, um, which would make it wrong. Um, but then you have an example like, Rich, um, you were talking earlier about Jesus with excess. Um, and here's an attitude uh, from the Bible, which um, where Mary at the dinner 
brings the jar of expensive perfume and pours it on Jesus' feet. Well, Judas, of course, objects because he says this is excess. This money could have, you know, this could have been sold and the money given to the poor. Um, and so Judas was like, this is gluttony because it's excess. Um, but in fact, Mary's behavior and attitude was rightly ordered and that she was serving Jesus and pouring out that excess with a rightly ordered desire. Um, so in this case, that would not be sumptuous, that would be virtuous. Um, or for instance, if you're at someone's house um, and the host opens like a really nice bottle of wine and someone else at the table says, oh, oh, this is excess, this is too much. Well, that's not necessarily the case because the host has a rightly ordered to de desire to serve their guests in a special way. Um, it's a celebration of someone's presence. So the host, if they were, say, desiring to show off, like, okay, look at this awesome bottle of wine I have, I'm gonna impress everybody, that would be um, an example of gluttony in terms of excess. But if they're really saying, I wanna share this cool bottle of wine with you, that's when it's virtuous. Um, the next is the fastidious. Uh, eating, the, which is the unordered desire to eat foods prepared in a particular way. So it's a little bit different from sumptuous eating. This is more focused on the preparation. Um, so this would be the person at the restaurant at the table who's always telling the waiter or waitress exactly how to prepare their entree. Uh, we all know this person, or we are that person. Um, this could also be this weekend. You were at someone's home for Thanksgiving, and you said, how did you prepare your turkey? Did you brine it? Did you deep fry it? Say so they said, no, just roasted it. And you're like, you know, I'm good. I can eat any turkey. Um, or if you were the host for Thanksgiving, say, and you said, oh, I have to prepare this turkey in the most perfect way. You know, I have to follow the, the magazine that I just bought off the rack and, you know, make the perfect turkey that they promise. Um, this desire isn't necessarily problematic in and of itself but it can be if it's not tempered or if, if again, your desires are not rightly ordered. Um, an example of this from the Bible would be when the Israelites were given manna and they're being fed every day and suddenly they say, oh, oh, we wish we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic, but now there's nothing but this manna. Um, so they were ordering their desires around what they were eating and how it was prepared and its lack of spices and flavor and not focusing on the fact that while they're being provided for now that they're free from slavery. Um, <laughs> so there are instances too where being fastidious is not necessarily gluttonous. Um, I have a cousin who is very particular about what she and her family eat. They are gluten-free, dairy-free, pretty much everything free. And <laughs> it has affected some family dinners and how we kind of plan things. And the first instinct is to kind of roll your eyes. Oh, like really gluten-free again. But for her, um, her boys are autistic. And if they eat any amount of gluten, it completely changes their behavior how they feel, their health, and so she has to be fastidious about what she serves her family. Um, so in this case, it's for her virtuous because she's doing this to protect her children, um, not out of 
a wrongly ordered desire. Um, so to sum up, the fastidious or picky eater is one who has an order, inordinate desire for foods prepared to his or her preferences. Um, before I go on, are there any questions about sumptuous or fastidious eating? Or does anyone have any examples that they can think of from the Bible or their own lives or something they might want to share? <clears throat> But were those given by God? So then would God be the fastidious one? <laughs> right. Yeah, so I would imagine like a, if a Jew went to, say like the, uh, the example of, um, is it Joseph who won't, Um, I, I suspect he wasn't being fastidious right. since one of the relevant facts was that he has religious guidelines to follow um, and so insofar as he has those, those are a relevant fact to, to judge what is right for him in that situation um, the, the fastidiousness could also go to something like where Jesus' disciples are not eating the thing on Sabbath or taking it from the field on Sabbath Yeah, so the interesting thing is what happens with the meals given these sort of facts of shifts. And some people don't like that. They're kind of like, well, this is like the pathway to relativism sort of. Um, but the interesting thing is this allows for situational context to make a difference for us. When things are appropriate, when they aren't, uh, rather than like a sort of law-based, this is always wrong, this is always right. There are some things, of course, that you virtuously. So like Aristotle gives the example of uh, adultery, for instance, is not about having adultery at the right time in the right way. The right <laughs> it's always wrong. Um, and so the same thing with certain practices are always wrong, but this also allows for flexibility of discernment and judgment. Yes, Mary. Absolutely, and I think <clears throat> that's a good example of rightly ordered desires um, in that, you know, if your gluten-free was affecting your, if it wasn't medically necessary and you're saying, well, I can't come to your house or I'm not going to eat your food because it's not gluten-free, and that's simply a preference. Um, and again, eating gluten-free isn't, isn't in and of itself fastidious or gluttonous right. or, or wrong. It can, Generally, you feel you feel 
even if it's not medically necessary, you can still have a rightly ordered desire. And so that's why it's such a hard thing, like James was talking about the behavior versus desire, because you can't point to any one specific behavior and say, that's gluttony. It really has to do with personal, you know, your desires and where you are, and it's so different for different people. But this is giving at least a framework for which you can measure, okay, are my desires rightly ordered? Am I going about this in a way that is okay? Or am I being gluttonous? Um, so actually, I'll talk about the next two, and if you have any more questions, we can um, address them later. Uh, the hasty eating is the unordered desire to eat food so much that one cannot wait till a meal time to satisfy their craving. It has to be now. So this is that your desire for food is so strong, there's an immediacy connected with it. And then ravenous eating is the unordered desire for eating food so much so that one is overtaken by that desire and they ignore everything else. Um, so I'm talking about these because I, this, um, learning about this, this is where I'm guilty. This is my gluttony is, um, I, it's hard. The hasty and ravenous are very closely tied. Again, hasty is related to time, immediacy. Ravenous is more of the strength and power of that desire. Um, but when I get hungry, and this is true before I was pregnant, um, <laughs> when I was hungry or craved food before a meal, it's like, I have to have a snack. I have to eat something. I cannot focus until I've satisfied this craving. Um, and I, I think when that is all-consuming or my desires were not rightly ordered. It's like, yes, I have to eat, and especially now, yes, I have to eat for the health of my babies, but at the same time, my desire was not rightly ordered to that, or it's not even still always rightly ordered. Sometimes it's a great excuse to be pregnant with twins and say, oh, I have to eat a snack, but I have to be careful about how I orient my desires towards that food and how I see my next meal or snack. Um, the example from the Bible would be when Esau smells the soup that Jacob is cooking, and he's like, I got to have this now. I will do anything, even sell my entire birthright um, to satisfy the craving. And that is, I think, a powerful example of how ravenous or hasty eating, it could be seen as either in this case, um, can really be gluttonous or problematic. Any questions about those? That could be, it could be, it's probably fastidious, um, but it could also be sumptuous, too, is that they're, because sumptuous, I think, is more related to what you're eating, whereas fastidious is more to how it's prepared, and they kind of complained about both, like, okay, we're eating this bread every day, it doesn't have the spices that we want, but we also want meat, and we're craving meat, um, so, so I could see it as either, does that sound? Yeah, and there's also the overlap between, like, <clears throat> What's interesting is, I'll sort of preview this now, is that one of the 
talks about in terms of how we correct these unordered desires is rational reflection about the unique being itself. So we often think like the only way that we can fix our gluttonous behavior is through like practices, and that's one of the ways. But even like considering where our desires might go awry itself is something that cultivates virtue. So even the act of discussing these things and trying to give examples is something that will make you more virtuous. Yes, Bradford. Yeah, I think that's tough because you'd have to, it's, it's again, all things considered. Um, so it, it's hard to determine someone's desire in that situation. Like, are they wrongly ordering their desires? Like, should that person ha take more pleasure in eating or eat more? I would say if they're not eating enough to fulfill their what they need, um, like what their body needs, that would probably be... Um, Gluttony and deficiency. So insensibility. Insensibility, yeah. yeah. So um, the insensible person doesn't have enough of the rightly ordered desire for food. And that's the one that Aquinas like, he's like, I don't even know anyone like this, so we're not even going to call this. It's so rare. But I think that that's certainly something that if you don't care enough about the, the preparation of food or enough about how much you eat, then you're, you have the vice of insensibility, which is just as serious for Aquinas and all the <laughs> Dan? And I think, and I like I, um, I, I get this because I'm now so pre-pregnancy. It was harder to justify. Oh well, I don't necessarily need to eat right now. I'm just really hungry. Or I'm really craving this thing. Um, I'm just the kind of person that's hungry all the time. 
this does not help. Um, and so, yes, I have to eat like every hour or I, I, I feel the need for it or I'll get lightheaded. Or, but I think my, what you have to weigh is what's in your heart or what your desires. So for me, it's like, okay, my next snack is coming up. Or, okay, I can't focus on finishing this thing at work until I eat. And, and so it, it's kind of figuring out your personal, um, like, where are your desires? Is it, okay, I have to eat because something is, you know, I, I just worked out and I'm going to pass out if I don't have something. Or is it, okay, really I'm desiring to eat healthy and be healthy and provide nutrition. Or is it like, I just love eating and I'm so excited for the next thing that nothing else really matters. So I think it's kind of, you know, weighing, weighing that, does it? Yeah, we might also think about the thing that you satisfy desires with. So like, uh, think of hasty eating, like you have to have something right now, which might mean you'll pull off quickly to, you know, a fast food restaurant to get some salt and fat in the form of fast food. And all things considered, that might be the, the vice of uh, hasty eating is um, disorienting you from the greater picture of what your body really needs. And so our, our practices and habits, uh, as I'll talk about next week, have a function of being wrong in a particular way, namely they have a result that takes us away from the kinds of rational, meaningful behavior that will lead to our flourishing. Right. Or it's so, I'm so hungry I grab the candy bar instead of the carrot sticks. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you're you're right. Um, I'll finish up with. Oh, go ahead, Matt. celebration 
that, that doesn't necessarily mean that eating more than you normally would is gluttonous in that context. So all things considered, you might have ate just the right amount. Uh, and maybe eating your normal amount would have been efficient with regard to that. Now, this, this slides into like these, what can we use like visas, like excuses for, for bad dispositions. Um, but uh, at least I think it, this is a cool concept because it allows the flexibility for uh, why celebrations matter. That's a perfect lead into excessive eating, uh, which I'll close with, <laughs> which is the unordered desire to eat beyond what one's nature needs. And as James mentioned, excessive eating is what we typically first associate with gluttony. So that Thanksgiving meal, everyone says, oh, I was you know, gluttonous this weekend. Um, or as he mentioned, you know, you go to India Buffet and you go up for that third plate of chicken tikka masala when you have truly eaten all you could eat. Um, but I think in thinking about this, um, as James started to talk about, the same plate of food could be virtuous for one person and excessive for another. So if you're an Olympic athlete um, and you're training and you have to eat you know, a lot of food or a big meal or that big plate of pasta before a race, that's different than if you set that big plate of pasta in front of somebody who doesn't really need that many carbs or, um, uh, or for James and I, when we eat dinner now, he gives me a larger portion because, you know, I'm, I need it and he doesn't. And so it's figuring out, okay, what, you know, is virtuous for one person may not be for another. So, um, again, thinking about what is rational, everything considered, um, the Thanksgiving was a good context for celebration. That would be a context in which all things considered, it might be okay to eat a little bit more than what you would eat on a Tuesday night. Um, if you were eating Thanksgiving meals every Tuesday, that might be a problem. Um, but in the context of a celebration, it might not necessarily be gluttony. Um, so the problem of excess, though, does remain the same problem as every other species of gluttony in that if one desires food too much, then your behavior can become irrational. It's kind of our barometer, so. Any final questions on that? Yes. I would say yes, but yeah. I mean, if, if, there's, if you take it seriously, that we have a specific function as humans, and fulfilling that function is good for us. And one of the functions that we have is eating. Doing it well will bring us a right amount of pleasure. And so um, it, it follows then that not eating well, even though it might bring us uh, immediate satisfaction, won't really get us to the pleasure that aimed at as being creatures who are designed to live in a specific way. Um, yes, it, I think that's definitely the case, that, that rightly ordered practices, this is the other thing I'll talk more about next week, but um, when we talk about virtue, it's almost like the 
discourse, that our character is shifted by the practices that we actually do day to day. So our dispositions follow what we try to do, rather than the other way that we normally think about it, where I'm either like, I have virtue or I don't, and like, I just am gonna do whatever uh, is in accordance with my character. Thinking about virtue allows us to say, I know that I ought to do this, eat well in these particular ways. And when I do that, my character will follow after those practices. And this, when we think about liturgies and celebrations in, the term, in terms of the church year, it's, it becomes a huge formative way of thinking about character, the way that we develop as persons through practices and habituation and all that kind of stuff. Yes, or Marie. Ladies first. <laughs> so I'm just wondering, not because you know I have a problem with it. <laughs> what can we replace our gluttonous desires with, like, or or how do we get rid of our gluttonous desires? I think that's what you're going to talk about more next week, yeah. right? So um, <clears throat> there, there's a few different correctives. Um, we're going to talk about abstinence next week, and we normally think about abstinence in terms of like formal fasts, but I'm going to try to expand the category and think of it a little bit differently than merely like a regimented fasting schedule. So some moderate practices to help us foster that rightly ordered desire. Um, but the, the thing is, we don't necessarily need to replace the desire. The desire in itself is a good thing for a good object. It just has to be the right amount. And so we'll also talk about one of the, so we have uh, abstinence, um, as I already mentioned, rightly ordered, right, right reflection, rational thinking about food. And the third one, interestingly, is hospitality, uh, is a corrective to the virtue of, uh, the vice of gluttony. So we'll talk about that as well next week. Okay, Melinda. <laughs> so I'm trying to build those cycles into our lives more, but it's definitely kind of controversial. Yeah. All right. I think we're flagged for time here. So do you? Yeah. Come back next week, and we'll talk about how to not be gluttonous. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.